Sports is so much more than a game, completely independent on your success level or on what level you play, so peewee, rec league, professional, college, semi-professional, or your attempts at any of that. It really doesn't make a difference because there are lessons that we can learn from within the game itself, and each sport is unique, and then beyond the game of just being involved in team or group athletics or even individual sports sports is rich with so many lessons that can really easily be applied to all facets of life this is a fascinating subject i am co-hosting this episode together with dr kevin chapman who is a renowned psychologist out of louisville kentucky he treats many disorders he's an expert in anxiety disorders and has a subspecialty in sports he has had the opportunity to work with world-class athletes on all levels we hope you enjoy and if you do please review rate and subscribe to the podcast this is mental filter Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Mental Filter, where we talk about pretty much anything and everything all through the lens of mental health with some mental health professionals and other cool people. My name is Shmuel Fischler. I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I own and run a specialized practice just a bit north of Baltimore. And I am super excited to have co-hosting with me. Dr. Chapman, who is going to introduce himself, and we have a fabulous topic today, which we'll get into in just a minute. Dr. Chapman, please introduce yourself. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, I'm Kevin Chapman. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and uh, I'm the founder and director of the Kentucky Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders, otherwise known as KY Cards. I'm also the team psychologist for Louisville City FC, the professional soccer team here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I primarily work in the area of anxiety-related disorders, but I have sports as a subspecialty as well. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. So, and and Kevin is, I remember when I first got connected to Kevin, who is, you know, just an awesome human being, if I may say so myself, and just you know, very kind with his time. And I remember that one thing that drew me to why I want to connect with him was coming across online and his experience with sports and athletics, which is something that I incorporate professionally into sessions and working with people because I just think it's so rich with lessons within the game itself, even from you know quarter to quarter, and then the experience of being part of organized sports and athletics and and what what sports brings up for us as individuals, even if it's not about the game itself. So I remember just, okay, I got to, I got to, I got to connect with this guy because this is, and he has just a really good presence and he does uh, consulting with media and sorts. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. So the topic that we're going to get into, which I think a lot of people can relate to, and I think a lot of us can really learn from is just that is athletics and sports and what we can learn from that and what we can gain from it from a mental health perspective. So let's start with just general. I know you have lots of experience of seeing it on on all the levels of athletics and sports. What do you think draws people to 
organized sports and, and team sports and what are some of the just the the overall maybe benefits or gains that people gain from being a part of organized sports? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's a number of things that really draws us internationally really to participate in athletics. I think part of it is that it's a way to showcase a performance or your ability in an area that you can't otherwise showcase. So in other words, you have, you know, people who are just naturally gifted in an area. And I think unlike many trades and professions, of course, you can work on your craft as an athlete, but many of us as athletes, I was also a college athlete. You tend to have an ability to- what sport? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, absolutely. In college and in high school, I played football and I also was a sprinter. So one of the fast guys, right? So what, what uh, position? I play running back. So my first couple of years of college, I played both ways, offense and defense. But then my senior year, I just focused on offense. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I love sports, as you can imagine. Hence, it's one of those takes one to know one sort of deals, you know. Right. So though that's not a pre precursor to be good at helping people who have struggles on and off the field. I think that, of course, you're deemed as more credible when you yourself either appear to be an athlete or actually once was. So. You know, to that, I think that it's, it's something that allows us not only to uh, socialize with other people, but to effectively enhance communication, learn team building skills, learn how to regulate emotions, learn how to perform, be healthy, have endorphins, flood your body, and competition, right? We like competition, and I think it's a really good showcase for us to be able to demonstrate our abilities physically and mentally and do so in a way that's fun. So, you know, of course, that draws all of us in being interested in sports. Yeah, like so many good points there. Being being a part of a team, like some when you get involved in sports, especially certain sports, some maybe are a little more dependent on teamwork. What did uh, I forgot? What was it? Shaq? What did Shaq just say recently about Kobe? I think it was at his. Did he, I don't know if you saw that that celebration of life for Kobe and they were mm-hmm. trying to get him to, to pass the ball. And he said, oh, I'll talk to him. <laughs> what did he say? He said, oh, there's no I in team. What was his response? I, I forgot what his response was. I, I won't say the expletive. Oh, right. He, can't say he said, there's an M-E in that. <laughs> 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 right. So I actually want to get back to that in a minute because I have, a, I have a, a burning question I've always had about elite athletes such as Kobe and Michael. But we'll get back to that in a second. But being a part of a, a, a team, I think, is like a big one. And I can, I can uh, extrapolate that to work that perhaps you and I do with individuals or other groups of sometimes they, they, they become part of a team. And I've had this with my, with my own kids even is that all of a sudden it's okay. It's not just about me and I have to be flexible and I have to care about what the other guy does. Not, not even just, or, or her, I should say, not even, not even just that I should care, but your success depends on it. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It does. And I think that it's a it's kind of a really good practice ground, if you will, to be able to practice social skills and human interaction in a setting that's relatively safe. I mean, really, if you think about it, being on a team really does facilitate a a broader dynamic that you're going to have to deal with, whether you like it or not, with difficult people that you work with or working with a client or family members or whatever it may be. You learn a lot of skills that are really misrepresented oftentimes that aren't really discussed as why people play sports. You learn a whole lot about life on and off the field. Can you share anything that comes to mind as far as some of those lessons that maybe, I don't know if it's 
players or teams that you've worked with where there is a lesson that maybe a person wouldn't jump to that, oh, you really got that from being part of athletics and sports? Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I'd say, I think one big one that a lot of people really don't talk about would be kind of enhancing resiliency. You know, you got to think when you are a high performing athlete, you have to deal with a whole lot of different things thrown at you at once. Some of which would be adversity, whether it be recovering from an injury, for example, you have to deal with a whole range of emotions when you do that. Uh, Coming off a bad loss when you were supposed to win, quote unquote, dealing with teammates who might be difficult to play or work with, dealing with a coach who might be punishing as opposed to reinforcing. Like there's a whole lot of dynamics that manifest themselves when in a team atmosphere that you literally learn in a secure environment to have to regulate and walk through and navigate. And I think that those are things that you don't sign up for per se, but they're things that are kind of unspoken that are a part of any sports culture and any sort of team culture that you have to learn and you sink or swim. So it's one of those things that here's the thing though, like ultimately when athletes do well at that and they learn to navigate, this is why so many companies like to hire athletes. I know a ton of companies who like to hire athletes because of those intangibles. Being able to have the ability to effectively communicate with people, regulating anxiety when you have to say, call someone as a financial advisor, for example, and have to deal with rejection. Like these are all things that you have to deal with implicitly in sports that really help you learn life lessons to, to practice outside of your sport. That's a, that's a really cool point. Like it's, it's such a unique experience. It's, it's like a battlefield for life. And if you could manage on the sports field, then that will translate into so many other areas. And that's a really, uh, that's yeah. almost, you could like put that on your resume type of thing. Absolutely. I remember one of my, I remember one of my earliest uh, supervisors right out of school and I was interning and then I ultimately worked there. It was an adolescent clinic and I remember having a hard time. I mean, love adolescence. <laughs> I was an adolescent, but it could be, could be challenging. And something that she said actually sp- it sticks with me you know, to today. And she's like, Shmuel, this is such an opportunity because like you were saying with, with, with sports, if you can manage to practice the skills and do the work in this environment with adolescents, you're golden because you're going to be able to yep. translate into so many other areas and, and platforms. That's a really good point. I want to get back to what you said just earlier about it's a unique opportunity being on the field and things that they can practice that they can't practice somewhere else, which is a good point. I'm, I was always curious, what's your take on, there are plenty of people, myself included, that <laughs> we almost become different people when we're on the, the field, whether mm-hmm. it's football or basketball. And sometimes I'll be even playing with someone like, dude, like, who are you? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) You, 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 you're such a sweet, you know, calm person (laughs) off the field. And all of a sudden it's like, you're this different person. And then it shuts off. It's like, it's on and off. You're super competitive. I'm not necessarily, it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's just, it's almost like two personas on and off the sports field. Do you notice that? I'm just curious what your take is on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I noticed that. And I think that sports culture certainly facilitates that idea to be able to compartmentalize that sort of stuff on the field or on the court or whatever the sport may be, as opposed to other settings. And I think that there's this expectation when we're athletes that that's socially sanctioned 
to be able to hone in on aggression, to hone in on other strong emotions that otherwise would not be warranted, right, or recognized as a good thing. That's part of it. I think the other part of it, though, too, is the focus on process. See, that's the thing, Smule, that other people often don't realize is that when you're working with a sports team or you're an athlete yourself, you know, the mentally tough athletes, they really hone in on their process. It's not about outcome, per se. It's more so about focusing on the process of competing. So you find athletes say things like, I'm in a zone. And that's kind of what you're saying to some degree. It's like, I'm so zoned. I don't really care about your feelings when I'm competing and going at you, right? <laughs> taking, <laughs> taking you to the rack, so to speak, and dunking right. on you and not caring that you're salty about it. So ultimately, focusing on my process of getting better. It's a way that for me to lead to an, a very positive outcome. So working on mechanics, my tactics, my strategies, using imagery and the things in psychology to help with that sort of thing. Sports is a battleground for that. And that's a, that's a place where you can really hone in on a process that ultimately, if it's a good process, leads to a very good outcome. Right. That's, you know, that, that was something that I, I was going to bring up and I'm glad you, you, you beat me to the, to the punch. I think it was John Wooden, the college basketball coach. I think I used mm-hmm. to have one of his quotes on my wall, which he basically, he didn't care about the score, or at least he said he didn't care about the score. It's like, all I care about is that you gave everything you had on there. And if you do that, then you can walk away proud and accomplished and feel good about what you did, because that's the only yeah. thing that's in your control. That's so absolutely that, right. You know, that's, that's something about the process. And that translates, Justin um, just, was just talking the other day in, in, a, in a previous episode about any sort of tasks or responsibilities and connecting them with something that I value and doing it because yep. of that versus the result. But at the same time, and not being someone who's hasn't had the opportunity really to be involved in professional sports. Is it true that th- there's like a conflicting message of got to win, got to win, got to win, got to win. We need the results the, I'm sure that, you know, the fans are unapologetic that, you know, we want to win, win or bust at the same time, like you're saying, it's, it's about the process. So how do First of all, I guess a two-part question. Is it true that there is that conflicting message out there or maybe that's just a, a myth? And part two is, okay, so how do on all the levels, the coaches, the players, how do they sort of navigate, how do they balance those two? If it's true that you do need to, you do need to value the process, but also understand that for a lot of these teams, it's, it's a business and they want results. So how do they, how do they balance both of those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Ultimately, you're absolutely right. There's absolutely a conflict between focusing on one's process and yet having the expectation that your outcome better be good or else. That's not only from a fan-based perspective, but from the organizational perspective, you're expected. What pays the bills? Outcome. What refines players? The outcome. You know, it doesn't really matter what the process is at the end of the day. If the outcome's not good, then people aren't going to come watch. People are going to boo. People are going to chant. And then people get fired, right? And they move right. on from contracts and such. So you're absolutely right. There's a huge conflict. And the irony of that is the only way really to have a really good pro- outcome is to have a really good process. So it's a balance, not only between coaches conveying and the front office conveying the right information because ultimately there's a conflict with like front office and locker room, right? And because the front office is going to be much more focused on outcome, but in the locker room, in order for the outcome to be effective, the communication has to be on the process. So it's a matter of training oneself 
to recognize that one's process that they follow, like the John Wooden quote you mentioned, is what leads to outcome. In order for me to have a triple double, though I might be athletically gifted, in order for me to really hone in on that, I have to practice the process of shooting well. I have to have my mechanics down. I have to have the right self-talk. I have to see myself performing well before, during, and after competition. When I focus on that exclusively in competition, that inevitably, in most cases, leads to the outcome that does pay the bills and gets the wins and the dubs and so on and so forth. So there is a conflict there, but it's a matter of training and thinking, honestly, Samuel, to, to recognize that mental skills at that level are honestly more important than physical skills. Because they're all athletes. Absolutely. And when you get to a certain place, when you're playing like as a young adolescent or even younger than that, and when you get to high school, I mean, there's some people that are just beast mode, but physically, and they're going to be bigger, stronger, faster. Zion, I would put Zion in that category. Right. right. He's a monster. He's, he's a matchup problem for anybody, period. But at the same time, when you get to a certain level, your mental skills are what's going to separate you from your physical. Yeah. It's a matter of convincing or not convincing, but it's a matter of accepting. It, it, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, really. To someone who's who's in that world, it's counter, especially, you know, front office or whoever it is who really needs the results or the coach who's, quote unquote, on the hot seat and they need the results. It's counterintuitive. But if you're looking at the bigger picture, this is the path to getting the results that you want. So we sort of have to try to help them realize that this is the way to do it and we're talking about sports but this is not just about sports this is about right. I don't, running an organization running a business yeah bottom line sales 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 but you know what if you don't have the buy-in from your employees because you're running them to the ground and you just all you care about is the bottom line then you know what you're not going to have employees or you're not going to have yep. motivated employees <laughs> it's a you have to appreciate that they like you said the process Yep, absolutely true. Speaking of which, you mentioned how the when you get to a certain level, it's more about the mental than the physical. So one thing that I've always wondered, and everyone has a little bit of a different take, is so at the end of the day, what in your mind separates the good from the elite? <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> it's, it's simple but not easy, I should say. Um, okay. And this is a conversation that I have regularly with athletes that I work with. And I ask them that very question. And, and the answer to that is rhetorical from my perspective. And I tell them that the thing that separates average athletes from elite level athletes is they have something we like to collectively refer to as mental toughness. They have a relentless pursuit of excellence through honing in on mental skills that translate on the field, the court, the pitch, et cetera to an effective outcome. See, that's the thing. The elite level athletes that we're talking about, though they're physically gifted, they do things mentally other athletes don't. So ultimately they hone in on things like, say for instance, self-talk, just one basic concept, one good example to answer your question would be self-talk. If you think about how most athletes deem self-talk, most athletes would say, you know what I'm saying? I'm not really thinking anything, you know what I mean? And that's (laughs) simply not true. Elite level athletes are well aware that we're always thinking things you not being aware of what you're thinking is different than not thinking something. Elite level athletes are not only aware that we're always thinking something, we're picking out in advance what we're saying to ourselves to help us perform and to recover from mistakes. See, that's something, that's a skill. 
And that's something that you have to be very intentional about. So the elite level athletes practice mental skills just like they would physical skills. So, and do you think that, do you think that that has changed over the years with elite athletes? I mean, we, we all know that the athleticism and the physicality has changed over the years. There's no question. Do you think that that aspect of, of really any competition, any game has changed where that has become more of a focus or more of a priority and athletes are really spending time? It's not just being aware of it, but it's practicing it. Yeah, absolutely. Emphatically, yes. Sports psychology, for example, it paralleled the changes in, in, in mainstream mental health. And, you know, for years, there's been such a stigma associated with mental health in general, and that in sports certainly would be no exception. So as you think about the elite level athletes who use mental skills coaches, mental conditioning, mental skills, mental toughness training, et cetera, what have you, they've recognized that there is a substantial benefit to utilizing the science of psychology to help athletes compete more effectively. So as the stigma with mental health has decreased over the years, so has the sports culture stigma associated with that. I was just talking to a football team yesterday, a very good one. And what I was telling the guys on the team, I said, look, man, here's the deal. You know, there's been this idea for years that if you're mentally tough on the field, that means you can't really talk about mental health symptoms. And that's simply not true. And there's been a stigma associated with that. So mental toughness is one thing when you're playing your sport, but also being very honest and open and transparent about difficulties with regulating emotions on and off the court is really important. Why? Because that certainly affects your performance and how you do in the classroom and how you have relationships and how, right? So ultimately it's absolutely changed, especially when big name athletes will actually talk about things like panic, panic attacks and how their mental coach is getting some glory because if it wasn't for her or him, I wouldn't have been able to get th- through this round of golf or, and you know, I won this and yeah, I'd like to thank my wife. I'd like to thank everybody else. However, my mental skills coach helped me hone in with mental imagery and so on and so forth. The other athletes want that advantage. And really it is an advantage <laughs> to be able to use the science of psychology to get your brain to do the work for you so that it's just automatic on the field. Right. Yeah. I've, the last several years, there's definitely been more in the, in the mainstream media, uh, big players, you know, like Kevin Love, and I'm here in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You had, uh, I think it was Hayden Hurst, who was open about it. Yep. Not that long ago, I went to, there was this cool event that the Washington Wizards had. They had Mental Health Night, and there was a series, I think, NBC had put together a bunch of a bunch of clips and interviews with professional players. So there's also the mental health aspect of being involved in athletics, and then there's mental illness and stigma about mental illness that sports players, especially professional sports players can help, you know, work on that, on reducing that stigma, which I think is, I think is awesome. Yep. One yep. thing that you just mentioned, which I just to, to help people maybe just translate into their own lives is that, like you said, you, like, you know, you reflected to them how the, <laughs> it's not all or nothing as far as if you're tough on the field, doesn't mean that you have to be tough everywhere. And that's like right. a classic all or nothing black and white approach that if I'm here, th- if I'm, if I'm like this here, that means that it has to apply everywhere. Like, really? Like who said, is there a rule book on like, it has to apply everywhere. That means that I can't show emotion. And, and I would say even more so probably with uh, male athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's those, true. 
assumption of what toughness is and you can be super super tough on the field and there are so many tough uh, resilient players it doesn't mean that off the field you can be a sensitive really caring individual so i think that's a, a really actually it's a very practical takeaway for people who are listening the other thing i would love to hear from you sort of how you maybe help motivate or encourage players and, and teams to do this besides for the external motivation whether it's physical or whether it's the mental all these things take tremendous practice so to to use myself as an example if say i'm working with someone on some sort of skill to help cope with some intense emotion if we wait this may be obvious to people but if we wait until the next time i'm in a really intense situation to practice a skill it's going to do absolutely nothing because i'm just going to be i'm going to be stuck <laughs> in that situation pra yep. the practice has to be done in the the calm moments and also with this with the mental skills so i grew up i i, I will never forget this I, I was spoiled as a kid because i grew up in chicago <laughs> i grew up in chicago i mean not so much anymore but yeah. i grew up in the prime MJ, Scotty, Horace Grant, Man. Dennis Man. Rodman, BJ right. Armstrong, everybody. Oh, that was the glory days. It was amazing. It wasn't a question of if we would win. It was just a question of how we would win. <laughs> so I, yep. fully admit, I fully admit <laughs> that I was spoiled. Yeah, you were. So I remember reading about the practice and the preparation of Michael. I forget the number of it. Was after each game something like 300 free throws, 103 pointers, after a day of working out, after a game, probably winning a game, very, very easy to just go home, have a glass of champagne, whatever it is, have a nice dinner, celebrate your victory, and move on. You're, ready, you're, you're at the top of the game, and yet he would put in that time. And I'm sure Kobe did the same. So how do you impart that, I guess, to if they don't have it already, what have you, what has been your experience in trying to help them embrace that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you nailed it. It's teaching this mindset that mental skills takes a great deal of diligence and practice, just like the physical skills. So it's basically having the mental skills alongside with the physical skills. One model I like to use with athletes to illustrate this point is that you, let's use basketball as an example, because I'm a basketball fan as well. So we use mental skills to treat practice like competition. So the competition is just playing basketball. And the reason that's so important and what it emphasizes is that, as you know, in psychology, what we use a great deal is this idea of homework being vitally important so that it will externalize to your real world and your real life outside of my office. So in other words, though I might teach you some skills in my office, it's essential that you're practicing these mental skills that you're learning, for instance, self-talk. You have to see those X amount of times a day. You have to memorize self-talk statements all day long. You have to see it externally, put it on a basketball, put it on things that you see in order to allow your brain to process it and retrieve it from your working memory when you need it in the hot moments, like you mentioned earlier. So in other words, you gotta use these skills outside of competition regularly so that they're more automatic during competition. It's the exact same example you use with Michael Jordan free throw shooting. If you get a guy shooting 20% from the line, 
Well, obviously you're going to have to practice shooting and change your mechanics, where you have to do that frequently. Well, that's no different than me expecting to have the right self-talk statement when things get tough during competition, when I'm not saying anything that's a flexible self-talk statement outside of competition. So it's not only this idea of practicing when things aren't going wrong, it's also practicing when I'm not on the field or the court so that I'll be able to retrieve the right information when I'm on it. Right. So it's, it's not even making it about the game. This is life. No. It happens to play out on the court or on the field. Yeah, facts. And in fact, when I'm working with an athlete, especially who have, who have parents who are invested in the process because, you know, they want their kids to be the next fill in the blank or so on and so forth, and they want to support them in that process, you know, the secret as parents that we know is that the things we're teaching there, these, especially young athletes, these are skills that would generalize to test anxiety. These are skills that are going to generalize to interacting with teachers and peers, communicating effectively during a presentation. Like these are the things they don't think about, but that also facilitates another topic, but it facilitates buy-in to families as to why mental skills and athletes are so important to teach because it's not just about the game. It's about the game of life. That's so true. So true. I love that. Do you, do you believe in slumps? <laughs> I do. I do. I believe in slumps. You could throw a term called yips in there. There's right. all sorts of semantics mule for all sort of mental blocks really is what I call it, right? A mental block or a slump. All that's accurate. That's not like magical thinking. That, those are things, but they're fixable. Is it fair to say that the, the, the majority of that is really somehow it's something in their head that they need to work through? Yeah, I'll be conservative and say 99.9% of it is <laughs> <laughs> something, something. It's absolutely what happens with, and we try to kind of uh, put these like sophisticated terms on things like, oh, the yips. I get where it came from. It's a golf term. And, oh, but is it really? People, oh, yeah. It, it, the history of yips is, is essentially a, a golfer. I forgot his, his last name. Decades ago, there was a golfer who developed the term yips to describe a slump just to describe this inability to engage in a well-known physical or fine motor skill task, say with golfing, that just loses, it's gone, I've lost it. And it's a physical skill that I normally do without blinking and all of a sudden I lose it. And then of course people mystify it and say, well, there's no known causes. Well, I'm like, well, yeah, no, that's not true. Well, maybe there's no known causes. However, we know that there's some sort of mental block that can be fixed. I've never worked, I'll be honest, I've never worked with an athlete Every athlete I've ever worked with, let's frame it that way, that have had, say, yips or a mental block or a slump, we've always fixed it. Always fixed it. Wow. And like you said before, this can easily be translated into whoever's listening to, into their life and, and anything that they're working on and they're just struggling and they hit a block, whether they have a you know, writer's block or they yeah. have something else that they're working on, they feel they jump to this conclusion, oh, I just can't do it. Yep. And whatever the, the, the block is. Just like a little side note here for those listening and even for myself, you hear, you do hear the term a mental skills coach, and then you hear sports psychologist or sports psychology or psychology in general. Can you just do a quick education on like what the difference is between someone you hear about someone, a team has a mental skills coach versus someone who is trained in psychology or a psychologist in general? Yeah, typically it really refers more so to their educational background more than anything. I mean, there's licensing laws and such of what you can call yourself. Like technically the term psychologist can only be used by those professionals that are licensed. 
So ultimately, when we think about a sports psychologist, what's implied in that is that they typically have a license also in counseling or clinical with an emphasis in sports. But oftentimes when you don't use that term, it tends to refer to someone who has some training in the area, but it typically might be at the master's level in an organization or a program that's a sports psychology program, but it typically doesn't go to the doctoral level. That's usually the big difference is level of training and expertise, because if someone's a psychologist in sports, they're going to call themselves a psychologist because it's a licensed concept. Otherwise, it typically refers to similar training. It's just not as in-depth, and it's probably at the master's level. Got it. Okay. I have a, a two-part question. So with everything that we've said, and it really depends on the level of sports you're playing, is there, is, I'm sure this is a, a pretty common question of if you had to divvy up how much of the success is mental versus physical, what would you say to that? And then the second part of that, also maybe an unfair question, <laughs> is out of the sports that you're familiar with, which ones do you think are more of a mental game than a physical game than others? Yeah, I'd say, that's, honestly, that's an easy question. Especially oh, great. The, second, the, the second question that you thought was hard is really easy. And when I tell you why, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, um, and I've worked with a, a sports you probably didn't know were sports. So with that being yeah, can said, you, question, question, can you give us one? Can you give us some obscure <laughs> sport game that you that you work with? Well, um, I'd say ice dancers are pretty frequent as well. You'd be surprised how many people who participate in ice dancing and terminology such as twizzles and things like that that most people are unaware of. And twizzles? You say be. twizzles? It, Not twizzlers. Twizzles. No, no, no. Twizzles. So there's a number of different concepts that are in certain sports that are like, oh, I didn't think that mental skills would apply to that. Well, it applies to any sport. It's really interesting. So I've worked with a whole continuum of athletes, believe it or not. So the first part of your question, I would definitely say the higher you get, the more elite you become. I think the percentage grows a little bit, but I definitely would say 60% for sure mental and 40% physical. You could argue half and half, but I definitely would say that the mental skills are going to be more than the physical skills once you get more on the elite level of competing, for sure. I think early on, you can, by sure, like physical prowess and such, can you'll have the ability to overcome certain things. But when you get older and people can play defense and strategize, mental skills become super important. So there's that. I'd say, for sure, the most mental sport on earth would be golf. And the reason why is because it's the one sport that the proportion of time that you actually are on your playing field or course is significantly disparate to how frequently you play. You play 13 to 15 minutes of golf, but you're on the course for five hours. Now, think about that. You have a lot of time to think the wrong things. So in other words, actual golf play is 13, 15 minutes-ish, but you often are on a course for several hours processing. So by sure, sure probability of thinking and the amount of time that you have, I absolutely would say golf. I mean, there's certainly wow. other sports I could argue. Golf would be one for sure. That is such a good point. Bringing it that way <laughs> makes a lot of sense, the proportion. I might have guessed like a, a pitcher because there's just yes. like so much focus. That's top five. Yeah. Or any, I mean, you know, maybe like an individual sport versus – you know, versus a team sport. So like there's so much focus 
on you that you have to sort of not let your head get in the way? And that is true. I'd say uh, pitching, I've worked with a, I used to travel with a softball team, actually, a Division One team. And um, pitching is definitely one. You can imagine how many pitchers and, and hitters I've worked with over the years. But pitching is definitely top three for sure. I'd say there's golf, kind of like social media. You know, there's like Instagram and then everything else in terms of like <laughs> involvement and, and, and reach. And so it's kind of the same concept. Golf is definitely, in my experience, the most mental because of what we said. And then you have like other sports like pitchers and certainly tennis could be one. You could argue that. So, right. Okay. So we don't have a ton of time left and I want to get to my burning question in just a minute, but one to try to give people listening, maybe one quick strategy or tidbit, because now I'm having vivid memories of playing little league. Mm -hmm. Not such a great memory. This one, (laughs) Uh, you know, (laughs) bottom of the seventh or whatever it was, bases juiced, Schmuel Fischler comes to bat and called out on strikes. Right. And that slow walk back to the car and, you know, so I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) If you can give maybe like one, obviously it's a, it's, it's a, it's a much longer conversation and working on the mental skills, but being in, there's so many of these moments, doesn't have to be sports. It could be getting, there's a quote unquote pressure moment of giving a presentation or answering a question or being put on the spot. There's so many of these, these opportunities, I would say, where it comes up. What would be maybe just one little strategy that someone could help themselves by maybe part of that self-talk of if they're in such a moment to try to not get sucked into the negative part of things, which would take away from performing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I guess if I had to give you one thing, I'd say one of the first interventions that I use with an athlete is to help them identify what I call performance affirmations. And basically what those are, they're statements that they use that are basically self-talk statements or flexible thoughts about their ability as an athlete, despite how they perform. So for example, it might be something like I have quick hands or, you know, I'm all conference or I have great court vision or I have a nasty changeup, like those sort of things. And ultimately what I get them to do, Smule, is I get them to memorize those sort of statements. Because if you're not memorizing those statements, you're going to be paying attention to the garbage and the trash, the things like, you know, I'm garbage, I'm horrible, I suck, those sort of things athletes often say. So if we can get them to focus on the process related versus the outcome and focus on affirmations that are going to be helpful despite how they play, what you find is if they do that frequently, pick that thought out in advance. Also say it right before they get into the game time situation. Ultimately, that's going to help them not only focus on the present moment, but also it's going to be something that they can retrieve from their brain when they've made a mistake. It's kind of like saying good golfer, bad hole versus I suck. There's a huge difference emotionally in those two thoughts. One recognizes that my performance is not my identity. Another conversation, but that's huge. One acknowledges that since I played bad, I'm bad. And that's exactly what a lot of athletes that I work with have to reprogram immediately so that they can retrieve from their brain. I'm still a great athlete, but I did not perform well. There's a difference. I love the way, yeah, I love the way you just framed that because I can see when you initially started saying, saying, sharing that, 
I can see someone say, what, you see, you want me to just like trick myself and delude myself into thinking mm-hmm. something else? So I'm just playing mind, mind games. But then when you said it like that, no, it's not at all. It's just nope. being objective about it. What are the facts on the ground? Yes, the facts are yep. on the ground. I just airballed. Yes. Yep. True. Right. Can't take that away. But does that mean that I'm a bad athlete? Let's, let's, let's be real here. Let's, let's, you know, cut the bowl. Let's, let's just focus on what's real. I'm a good athlete by way of all, all the, the history and where it would have accomplished, but I missed the shot and leave it, you know, compartmentalize it and leave it at that. One sports metaphor that I find myself using a whole bunch sometimes with people is that the, the same rationale that our thoughts are trying to do to make us try harder and end up being negative is that it, it works against us. Meaning yeah, if I'm up right. to bat and I say, well, you reach more, you really got to focus and you really <laughs> got this. We need this win and you need to try harder that value of winning the game. And that's the premise for me trying to convince myself to hold the bat tighter. I use this metaphor of that I'm going to grip the bat with all my might. I'm going to white knuckle it because of course you, you care about hitting the ball, right? Of course that's yeah. your value. You want to hit the ball, but that, itself undermines your value of producing because what happens when you grip the bat so tight your swing is not fluid you got to yep. loosen up like you like what you were saying before about thinking of the process versus the result you got to loosen up so that you can perform and it's a it's a trick to try to tell you that oh this is your value and therefore over focus or or try so hard that you're going to wind up not performing so i'd love just love the way you frame that yeah, all good. So one last thing that uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on. And we mentioned Kobe and we mentioned Michael and other elite athletes that are out there. We mentioned how the more elite they are, the more what they, they're aware of what they're thinking. And they have this, this almost insane drive that they're going to succeed. So I always wonder this question. So with such an elite athlete, and we can, you know, they use the term of they have this like killer instinct. They're a mm-hmm. finisher. There's, you yeah. know, when you heard Michael or Kobe, there, there was no question. Like, we're going to win. We're going to finish. So I always wondered with elite performers, elite competitors, elite athletes, is there an off switch to that? If you are so focused, I wouldn't say use the word delusional, but there's like, there's no option. There's no other option except to win, to succeed, to hit the basket, to, and that is tremendous because if you use that self-talk and you believe it, then a lot of times it will translate. But I always wondered, how do they then deal with a loss? How do they, if it's so consuming, it's killer. It's like, there's no, it's not even on my radar that I'm going to lose. I'm going to miss. I'm going to, we're, we're not going to win. Is there an off yeah. switch? Yeah. Good question. You know, my football coach in college had a, a motto that, I mean, obviously it's so sticky that I'm bringing it up now because it's amazing. And it answers your question. Our team motto in college was to pursue excellence with a vengeance. And if you think about what that means, that means everything you do to your approach to everything you do, not only the sport, but life in general, needs to be pursued like your life depended on it. And one of the other attributes, Shmuel, of a really elite level athlete is that they don't like losing. They hate losing, in fact. 
but hating losing and doing it gracefully is a different issue. So what you find is that there typically isn't an off switch per se, because they're going to typically, you look at people that you're naming and they were pursuing excellence with a vengeance off the court <laughs> after retirement, right? The thing is though, is that those same athletes who pursue excellence with a vengeance, you think about something like a loss, something they hate, they also have the ability to always learn something from competition. And that's what separates them from other athletes. One million dollar question people ask themselves at that level is what did I learn from competition? Quick example, there was a finals at one point when LeBron had a triple double. All he focused on in the, in the press conference, quite list struck me, the entire press conference was his photographic recall of his six turnovers. I want you to think about that. Like I had 35, 12, and 10. I ate, right? But yet I'm focusing on my six turnovers. Is he a perfectionist? No. It's he's pursuing excellence with a vengeance, right? Yeah. And you have to be able to learn to focus on the process of competing and recognize the trick. Pursuing the process leads to the desired outcome. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Uh, this was amazing. This is great. I appreciate your time. I know people can reach uh, me at info at cbtbaltimore.com. If someone would like to reach out or connect with you, how could they reach you? Yeah, they can reach me at uh, Kevin at kycards.com. It's easy, Kevin at kycards.com. All right, this was, this was awesome, and I hope we get another chance to do this sometime. Absolutely, I loved it.